Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Those are the first five verses of Psalm 103, which is the psalm appointed for today, Tuesday, April the 19th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I do appreciate it. Um, We are today, as I told you, it's kind of a mishmash of lessons for the next little bit after Easter, at least in the... um, in the Old Testament readings. So today what we've got is, um, yesterday, remember, we had Jonah 2, 1 to 9. Today we have Isaiah 30, verses 18 to 21. But we'll have to go back just a little bit to pick up the context. And then in John's Gospel, we are in the 14th chapter, verses 15 to 31. And then in Acts, we're in Acts 2, um, verses 36 to 47. So this is immediately following the day of Pentecost. <clears throat> well, yeah, it's on the day of Pentecost and immediately thereafter. So the, what we begin with in the Isaiah lesson is the word, therefore. Well, that's a terrible place to begin a reading because it, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't bring any context. But what the context is, is the Lord's laid out his complaint against his people and said, I wanted to bless you. I wanted to do all these things, but you wouldn't have it that way. You wouldn't accept my discipline you're trying to flee from my discipline. And this is, um, if you look at, you remember from Jeremiah's prophecy from a couple of weeks ago, what he was talking about was that the um, the problem God had was he wanted his people to go in exile to Babylon. That was his plan. And his purpose was to send them up to Babylon into this exile, but there were those who determined that, no, well, we don't want to do that. We don't want to go into into exile there. We'd rather choose our own way. And so choosing their own way fell down to two different things. One is, we'll stay here and, and work it out here, or we'll flee down to Egypt, who they'd been trying to make an alliance with to protect them from Babylon anyway. And God said, neither of those plans will work. And yet, they were determined to do it anyway, and so they did. So those that that's what he means by, I wanted to bless you, I wanted to be good to you, but you wouldn't have that. You chose your own way. You chose to run or whatever away from my way, and that's not going to work out well for you. So the passage begins with, therefore. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And what's he waiting for? Well, he's waiting for them to return. He is waiting for them to get so tired of their sin that they'll turn to him. Therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are all those who wait for him. So the Lord waits to be gracious to you, but you are blessed if you wait for him. And we don't like to wait. We want it now. And that's the problem is is that when because we want it now— then we're willing to do whatever we think it takes to get it now. And so waiting on him is actually the path, he says, to blessedness. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. What does that mean? What is this cry? And the cry is when they cry out to him in exile like they did when they were down in Egypt during the Exodus. 
As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. And so it's this, it's the nature of this waiting for him is waiting for his presence, waiting for his direction. And we, we, we just no good at that. It's a very difficult thing because sometimes we have to wait a long time. And the problem becomes we keep striking out in our own directions and doing what we think to be wise. And we delay his blessing because we continue to strike out on our own. And we refuse to listen to him. And that's exactly, like I said, the context for Jeremiah's prophecy and also Isaiah's prophecy are, are those who will not do what he wants them to do because it doesn't seem pleasant to them to either wait or to do what he wants you to do. And so it, it doesn't go well because we refuse to wait and we refuse to listen. We make our plans and we ask him to bless them rather than asking him what our plans ought to be. And sometimes, as he says in Isaiah 55, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. So sometimes his plans, what he reveals to us, doesn't look like that great a plan. That can't, surely can't be the plan. Surely can't be the way this is going to work. And then we look at the crucifixion and we see that nobody believed that was going to be the way God was going to do something. The only person who believed that was Jesus. So it's important for us to always submit not our plans to the Lord, but to submit our lives and to allow him to direct us to those plans. In the gospel today, Jesus is, is still speaking to the, uh, the disciples, and this is still at the Passover meal. And so remember yesterday, he has said that he's going to the Father, and they know where he's going, and he tells them that he's going there to prepare a place for them, but they're confused. They have no earthly idea what he's talking about. They, they don't understand any of it. Um, they, they are not even sure they've seen the Father. And so Jesus said, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. We are one. And he said, believe in the Father and believe in me. So now he tells them what it looks like to love him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know, it, it's funny because what we've sold in the church over the last whatever period of time is, is a false bill of goods, and that is all you have to do is make a statement of faith one time in your life, and then you're good to go. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So it's not a works thing. It, it's because we love him, we do his commandments. It's an act of love. It, it's doing what your father told you to do, doing what your mother told you to do, because you love them, and therefore you trust them, and you, you believe this is the best way for me, is to do what the person who loves me tells me to do. And so I will do this in love for that person. And he said, I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So now what he says is at this point in time, he dwells with you. In other words, he's in your midst when you gather in my name. But, but what happens after I go to the Father is he will be in you as individuals. So he dwells with you is a plural pronoun, but he will be in you is a singular pronoun. 
he said, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And that's the promise that he makes when he gives the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's gospel. He says, I will be with you even to the end of the age. In other words, you're never, the world will not end with, with, without me. I'll be here with you, those who believe, and those who love me enough to keep my commandments. See, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So we're all brought into the dance of the life of the Trinity through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We get to participate in that um, inner life of the Trinity. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Here he goes back again. He began this with, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And here he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And so we're proving our love for him by keeping his commandments. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then Judas, not Iscariot, (laughs) the other Judas, said to him, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? That's a a reasonable question. (laughs) Because it does seem strange. Are you going to appear to us like a ghost? How is this going to be? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Is that sufficiently clear, you think, for Judas? I don't think so. It, it, it was about as clear as when Mary asks, how will such things be at the, uh, to, in response to the announcement of the angel that she would bear the, the Son of God? She said, how will such thing, things be? And, he, and she's told that you'll be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And her response is essentially, okay, whatever. You know, I, I don't understand and it's true, the things of God, a lot of the things of God, the things that he does, we can't understand those things. And so Mary couldn't possibly understand what it meant to be overshadowed by the Spirit of the Most High. That certainly didn't describe the process by which she would become pregnant. And here it's the same thing. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My Father will love him. We'll come to him and make our home with him. Well, nobody could have possibly understood what it looked like for that to be a reality. But, but what it means is, is that the, the way he makes his home in us, remember yesterday Jesus said he went to prepare a place for us. Now we're preparing a place for him, and we're preparing that place by believing. And therefore, the Holy Spirit can come and be with us. But, but Jesus says more than just believing, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So another way of seeing whether or not you love Jesus is whether you keep his word. If you don't keep his word, then you don't love him. It's that simple. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. He will complete the teachings that Jesus has given, and they'll be able to remember and recall those teachings in a way they would otherwise not be able to unless for the Holy Spirit. And because of that, then they can remember all the things that Jesus taught in order that they can then go and teach others. In the same way, Moses was on the mountain with God and came back down, and he was the one able to explain the word. Even though the word was all written, he was the one able to explain the teaching and explain what it meant. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is going to do in the life of the apostles and then in the lives of those who commit themselves to Jesus and commit themselves to his word, that we will then know and understand the word in a way that surpasses what we would 
be capable of knowing and understanding without the Holy Spirit. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. The peace that he has is that peace that passes understanding, and it's not possible to have that peace in the world, again, absent the Holy Spirit. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'll come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. In what way is the Father greater? Well, the Father is greater because in his flesh, Jesus was limited. Once he goes to the Father, his power is unlimited. It's not, it's not hindered by the flesh in any shape, form, or fashion. And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you can believe, you'll believe. In other words, he has made a prophecy, and the prophecy is, is that, that he's going to the Father, but he'll come back and he'll reveal himself to the disciples, but not to the world. And so he's, he's said, I've told you this in advance, so that you'll believe more. And remember what I've told you about the gospel according to John, is, is that belief is a continuum. It's, it's a movement along a, a, a trend line. And so that's exactly what he says. He says, I, you believe some things now. You, your belief is, has come a long way. But if I prophesy this now and then you see it, then your belief will increase. I'll no longer talk much with you for the ruler of the world is coming and he won't because he's going to be arrested a little later. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me. In other words, I'm greater than him, but I'm submitting myself, not to men here, but to the ruler of this world because the Father commanded me to do that the way I'm commanding you to live in the world so that the world may know that I love the Father. So Jesus submits himself to the ruler of the world in order to show his love for the Father. And he says, rise, let us go up from here. And then in the epistle today, in the reading from Acts, remember Peter has been begun preaching on the day of Pentecost was the context for yesterday's reading, and now he's going to finish that. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So again, we get this therefore word without the context. And the context was Peter had just proclaimed that God had raised Jesus from the dead. He says, now when you hear this, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I mean, if you, if you were cut to the heart and believed that you had just crucified your own Messiah, the one you had been looking for, and who's only going to come one time in that capacity, and you had killed him, indeed, you would want to know what can we do, because it would certainly feel like... There's no hope because there's nothing in Scripture that even contemplates the possibility we would kill Messiah. So what do we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you could see why somebody might be a little skeptical of that claim. Really? Repent and be baptized? That'll be enough for having murdered Messiah, you think? For the promise, he says, is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord your God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. So Peter was a lot like me. He used many words to bear witness and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. In other words, he's saying, you know, you got to separate yourselves from those people who, who will not believe in Jesus. You to to um Save yourselves from this crooked generation is to say, get away, come out, come apart, and come into this new faith. 
He says, so those who received this word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. What a harvest. And that's exactly what Pentecost is. It's a harvest festival. But it's also a festival that celebrates the giving of the law in Sinai. And so you've got both these things colliding at the same time. And so here you see this great harvest of souls, 3,000 in Jerusalem on this one day. But, but it's similar in many ways with the rushing wind and the tongues of fire and all that. If you look at Exodus 17, you'll see on a much larger scale, certainly at Sinai, you'll see fire and wind and all the things that happen this day. It's on a small scale here at Pentecost, but it's the same thing. It's the giving of the word to God's people. It's the gathering in of God's people, and this is the first fruits of the gathering in of those people. And but but you don't have to go on Sinai to get it. You just had to go to the upper room in response to the mighty rushing wind and the sound that you heard there. He said, so, and they devoted themselves, this is continuing, this is the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In other words, they spent their time together, and they worshiped and they learned. They learned first the teaching of the apostles, telling them all that Jesus had taught, and this is the stuff the Holy Spirit's going to bring to mind, the fellowship with the brethren, to the breaking of the bread, the, the common meals, and to praying together. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, I've, I've known people who undertook to have society with one another as Christians in this way, who decided that, that we want to pool our assets and our resources, and we want to live together in a, out of a common purse. And they did. And, and, and I know one case where it worked out really well, but then they ultimately decided to dissolve that. Others become sort of these romantically driven societies. You know, there's sort of the romantic vision. That's what I mean. They're not, I don't mean um, romantic love. I mean a romantic vision of how things can be perfect in community. And then they go awry um, because of things like Ananias and Sapphira, which breaks up this community, and that's the last we hear of it after Ananias and Sapphira. Is, but th- there's no commandment for that. But you've got to remember what these people believed, what everybody believed at the time was Jesus was coming back really, really soon in judgment. Therefore, owning property, owning anything at all was sort of a moot point. So, you know, time is short, hell is hot, and the stakes are high. Well, they believed time was really short. And so they were, they were willing to do this simply because, well, what's the point? If we're all going to be taken up into glory in the next little bit, then, hey, what, what, what's owning anything mean? And day by day, attending the temple together, where were they? They were attending the temple. They didn't see themselves as a part of, uh, as a separate thing from Judaism. They saw what they were is the fulfillment of Judaism with the proclamation of the Jewish Messiah. And so they continued to go to the temple together, but they just knew that they had the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Well, that wasn't going to last either, because ultimately the Jews were going to get sick of this proclamation of Jesus, and, and especially once they started incorporating Gentiles in without circumcision. And so they had favor with all the people for this season of time, and that ends with Acts 8. And what does it end with? The stoning of Stephen, because Stephen dared speak a word against them. It wasn't so much that he was proclaiming Jesus as it was that he told them, you're a stiff-necked bunch of people, just like your fathers were. And, and he spoke as one of the prophets 
had spoken to them, and they decided to stone him. And after that, then they began to see Christianity as something different. And they really began to see Christianity as something different after the temple was destroyed in A.D. uh, 70, because they blamed the Christians for the persecution that broke out from the Romans to the Jews. And so in their minds, the Jews were responsible, or the Christians, I mean, were responsible for all these things. So this isn't going to last. And one of the things that we should always be prepared for whenever we have wonderful community is is that ultimately it's not going to stay that way. There will be a fly in the ointment somewhere along the way. We have to be careful not to be the fly in the ointment. We have to be careful not to be the problem. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved, which becomes in and of itself a part of the problem. (laughs) They were growing so fast. How do we provide for the needs of everybody in the community, the widows and the orphans and those who are coming into the community in that way? And so it's important for us to show our love for Jesus by keeping his commandments. But he kept his commandments simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are simple commandments. The carrying out and the living out of them is a lot harder, and it takes a lot of wisdom, and that wisdom only comes from the Holy Spirit.